Lead me to some soul today. Welcome, everyone, uh, to episode number 11 of a series of episodes called Leading Others to Christ. During these episodes, our focus will be on evangelism. Uh, and we have many goals with this project, uh, but one of them is, I'm going to say, to revive us again, if you will, to stir us up, to stir us up to love and good works but to stir us up to love and good works, especially in the area of reaching our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers with the gospel of Christ. My name is Dan Barker, and I preach for the Creekside Church of Christ in Franklin, Indiana. For those of you who don't know, Franklin's about 20 miles south of Indianapolis, Indiana. Those of you that know me know that I'm passionate about evangelism. I'm passionate about leading others to Christ. And I really have been ever since I was taught and obeyed the gospel when I was 21 years old in, in Owensboro, Kentucky. I've done this several times, and I'm going to do it again. I've always going to use some Bible phrases. Uh, I've always been striving to teach others, to sow the seed, uh, to be a fisher of men, to make disciples, and to teach others to teach. Remembering what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men and women, of course, who will be able to teach others also. So I came up with this idea to identify those Christians, those men and women, uh, those fellow workers who are reaching and leading others to Christ to find out who they are, where they are, how they're doing their work, why are they motivated to do this work, and that's led to this series of interviews. And quite frankly, the feedback that we're getting is very exciting. We have a lot of people that are, that are responding, and that's very encouraging. And we want to, just while I'm thinking about want to encourage those that are listening to this episode to please share this with your friends and contacts so that we can kind of get the word out. Today, we're really excited to have with us Chris Epler from um, Orange, Texas, Chris works with the Mauriceville Church of Christ there, and so welcome, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> That's good. Chris and I talked by phone the other day. We've been trying to do that before every episode, and Chris has a lot of really uh, good information to share with us, and I want to encourage you to, uh, I always tell everybody, Chris, they have to have a yellow, see my yellow legal pad? It, it's not scriptural unless it's yellow. No, okay. I just, yeah. <laughs> But to get out your pad and pencil and, and take notes, because uh, we'll learn a lot of things in talking to Chris today. So, Chris, thank you again for taking the time to do this. Uh, really means a lot to us. Why don't we start out? I know a lot of people know Chris Epler, but there's people that don't know Chris Epler. Give us a little short bio of where you grew up and, and where you're working and get, tell us who Chris is. Okay. Well, I grew up, uh, I was born actually just, you know, not even about an hour from where I currently am preaching. Uh, just kind of ended up over back over there. Not sure how it happened, but I did. <laughs> uh, it's not like I have any family ties at the church where I'm at. I just ended up at a church close to where I where I was raised. Um, anyway, I uh, you know I just turned 40 a few weeks back. I've got um, a wife and three kids and another one that should be here at the end of the month. Oh. So um, anyway, we're looking forward to that. My dad was a preacher. Uh, he passed away about a year and a half ago or so. He began preaching, and we left Jasper, where I grew up, and went to uh, you know some various different places in Texas, uh, and then uh, ultimately Oklahoma. That's where I actually graduated high school was Oklahoma. You know, after that, I went to 
Florida College for a year and so forth and kind of sojourned around the southeast United States for a little bit and uh, came back to Texas. So I've been at the Mauriceville Church now for, uh, if I make October, it'll be 13 years. And um, anyway, it's uh, it's been a good place to be. Been, you know, people have been good to me and, and we've had a successful work there. Uh, when I first came, I think that we were numbering, you know, right around 100, 105 or so. And uh, anyway, the church currently is about 230 and it's been a church that's consistently grown since uh, it was it was founded. Incidentally, the church in Mauriceville is pretty much the same age I am. I think it was founded right about 1980. So, <laughs> well, happy birthday to you and the church, I guess, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you grew up a you you grew up a PK, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the 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 second half of my growing up years, I guess you would say. Uh, you know, my dad actually, I can still remember when my father wasn't a Christian. Uh, he was uh, baptized when I was about six years old, and uh, anyway, as a few years went by, he decided that uh, he just wanted to give his life to it. So, uh, I think that's that's wonderful, and that's one of the things that we try to bring out every time is that about our background of you know. I don't know if it's right to say grow up in the church, but Matt Maudlin that helps me with this, uh, he didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up in the church. I was 21, like I said, a few minutes ago. I think he was 21, 23, something like that. And one thing that I have found, right or wrong, and I think it just is what it is, is that a lot of times there's a different perspective of people about evangelism that have grown up in the church versus those that didn't. It, it's something, if you've always been around it, versus not having that a part of your life when you were younger, uh, don't you think that has some effect on, on some? And, and yeah, and, and to me, one of the biggest things about it, and I, I try to get people to uh, to try to adopt the eyes of a visitor, but I think about that often. You know, I mean, when I drive up to my house, you, you see it every day, and so you know, I don't think a whole lot about the weeds that are growing up or the, the paint that's peeling over here or there and, and the door that needs to be painted. You just see it every day. And uh, But when a visitor comes, of course, that's what they see uh, when they come up to the house. And so you really got to kind of have the eyes of a visitor if you want to find all the stuff that needs to be fixed up on your house. And uh, I think that's uh, the strength of someone who was uh, who was not raised in the church. I know we use that accommodatively, um, is that, you know, they've got those eyes that, that can, you know, see – deficiencies uh, that need to be, you know, helped along and, uh, and see needs that, that need to be met that maybe uh, some of us who have been a part of it for our whole lives uh, just don't notice so much because we're there and, and comfortable with it. Yeah, you know, we've, uh, we've touched on that, some of the other interviews about visitors, and, and uh, I might even do that in a few minutes, but I don't know that I've heard anybody say it that way, adopt the eye of the visitors. I, I like that. And the way you describe that, it's exactly right. We don't see the weeds in our own yard, or uh, but a visitor sure does. And uh, so that's, and you know, let's just do that right now. I've heard so many stories, unfortunately. I've heard good stories and bad stories, because uh, that's, you've got good stories and bad stories, but uh, about visiting, maybe go on a vacation, go someplace new to worship, go in and just be overwhelmed. Some cases, maybe really overwhelmed with uh, being really welcomed and uh, but also I've heard so many stories and I've experienced it to go places where nobody says a word to. Have you ever had that? Have you ever heard that, Chris? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I guess that if I was to think hard about it, I could say that I've experienced something similar. Um, but the the main thing that sticks out in my mind when, when you mention that is I remember when I first moved to Mauriceville, I had a, you know, a couple there who, um, as I was speaking with them, they started telling me about a situation they had experienced like that. They went on vacation and they went to this church and, 
And, um, you know, they said the only person that spoke to me ended up being another visitor. And, uh, you know, I mean, I had heard, you know, kind of apocryphal stories like that over the year, but there's right. never had anybody just straight tell me that, uh, that, I, that I know happened to them. And what was interesting is I asked them, I said, well, you know, well, what church was that? And so they told me. And as it turns out, the church that they mentioned is a church that I am very intimately aware of, know people that are very dear to me in that church and so forth. And I know good and well that that is not the kind of church that it is. And uh -huh. so I don't know what happened that day that they visited. You know, who knows? There, there, could, have been a, there could have been a death or, or people were focused on something else that day. I don't know what the situation was, but the church was apparently having an off day. And uh, so, you know, what I tell people is, uh, is that a church can't afford to have an off day. We need to have systems in place where regardless of whatever craziness may be going on uh, at, at home at the time is that visitors are, are met and greeted, period, without fail. But, uh, you know, it just, it, it just takes one off day. And then you think about the impact. Well, you know, here, here it was years later and somebody was telling me about their experience there uh, with that church and, and how many people had, you know, then been told that and so forth. And, uh, and so, you know, one, one, bad, one bad day like that where a visitor's not treated the way that they should be um, can have, you know, far-ranging effects, you know, uh, even across the country. Because, I mean, I'm halfway across the country from that church, and here I was hearing about it. Well, uh, makes me think, I'll try to tell a quick story. I uh, mentioned to you earlier that in my education and coaching days, uh, we were in Lafayette, Louisiana. And we went there and from Kentucky and, and didn't know where to go. And nobody knew very much about the church there in the area. And we went to this congregation and we experienced that. Nobody said anything. And I remember, and I'd only been a Christian for like a year, or a year and a half. And I told my wife, I said, well, we're not going back here. And uh, we lived in an apartment on campus. And it was the week, the week after we had been there, doorbell rang and went to the door. And it was a lady and her daughter. And they were members there. And she had our visitor's card. And she was following up with us and she said, just wanted to thank you for coming. And, and uh, I didn't get, she said, I didn't see you uh, there. And uh, I said, yeah, nobody said anything. She said, would anybody tell you what happened? Back, back to your situation. The preacher had had a heart attack. Oh, and no. they'd, had, they'd had an ambulance come and they had, so, but and all that happened before we got there. Sure. And so they were in, in a, in a state of shock. They were having an off day, I guess. And, uh, and she said, well, I said, well, we didn't really know what was going on and really hesitant about come, you know, going back. And she said, oh, please come. And Chris, that's where we were supposed to have been. That was the right place. Ended up having a real good relationship with them. So things do happen. But what that's a, a perfect example. That's a perfect example of they had a system in place to where yeah. even if there was a problem that day, it was remedied to the best of their ability later on. It just really emphasizes you need to have a system in place. Very much so. Let's just let's just stay with that. What kind of a system would you share that that do you guys have there? If if my wife and I came and visited, the, is there a, a follow up system or how how would we what would we see you, you, the eyes of a bit? What would we see or how would we be inter interacting with the group? Well, you know, for one thing, of course, you know, as the church has grown and the facility's gotten bigger and so forth, of course, you really got to start reevaluating your systems and whatnot. Uh, it'd be real easy to have an unmanned foyer, for instance, and so forth. But we have a we have a rotation where we know for a fact we have an usher system in place to where we know that somebody is going to be there uh, in the foyer to greet people when they come in. So 
And, and then another thing that we found is really important is, is somebody there to man the door, you know. You see a visitor come and open the door for them. It can be amazing the difference that that makes. Sometimes you've got someone coming in and, and they got kids in tow and they're just kind of juggling a bunch of stuff. And, and that really does a lot to help people feel better about being there when you, when you just, you know, welcome right in the door that way. We have a security guy there who mans the foyer at all times. And so even if they come in, you know, a good bit later, uh, there's going to be somebody there to, to greet them. Then when it, you know, especially if it's a first time visitor, especially somebody that looks like they're a little anxious about maybe being there. I mean, it's one thing if it's a traveling Christian, it's another thing if it's somebody, you know, that's, that's just from the community. And so when we see somebody there from the community, one thing we'll make sure and do, of course, this was back before COVID when our auditorium was full. Uh, now we have social distance space and everything, but um, you know, we would, personally walk them straight to a place where they could sit so they didn't have that weird feeling of, of coming in after everything had started and not knowing exactly where to go. And so we just try to be real mindful of people when they're coming in the building. Brethren, you know, where I am, they're very warm and friendly. And so I don't know that we've ever had a problem with, with a visitor not being talked to. Uh, we may have actually had a few situations where a visitor may have gotten talked to a little too much. <laughs> but then at the same time, of course, we have, you know, a, a deacon who makes sure that uh, visitor cards are, are collected. We get addresses and so forth. And, and we have cards where, you know, one of the deacons will send a, a card thanking them for their visit. We also have a ladies group, and that's one of the things that they do periodically, probably about once a month, is they'll mail out cards to the people that have visited over that month. So usually a visitor is going to get you know, at least one, sometimes two, maybe three cards thanking them for coming. And um, what I've found as an evangelist is that that is just super helpful because you know when I go uh, tap on the door of someone who's visited and, and uh, you know, it's, it's, they, they generally will tell me that, oh, yeah, we got a card you know, they're a lot happier to see me when I knock on their door than, than they would be if they just had never heard anything like their visit didn't, you know, matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, you know, like sending cards, that might sound old school, but it still, it still works. People really appreciate that. And like you say, they feel more comfortable. Uh, so you do follow up. I mean, you actually go out and knock on doors, Chris. Do you oh, do absolutely. That? Uh, you know, I kind of have a, a system in place for, you know, how, how that's going to be done. And, uh, you know, you got to, you know, it kind of comes down to a little bit of experience. You know, you got to figure out, uh, you know, what's best to do and what's best not to do. But, um, you know, generally speaking, uh, what I try to do is if, if someone has made a second visit with us, then yeah. I'm going to go to their house the following week. And, and not, for, not for any purpose other than just to, for them to see my face and know that, you know, we were glad that they came and that we made that effort and then just kind of feel out where they are from there and see what further uh, may need to be done with that individual. Of course, uh, you know, that's not a hard and fast rule. If, if somebody visits and then I don't see them again for a month, I'm probably going to go knock on their door anyway, because I just feel yeah. like it's a worthwhile thing to do. And, and um, you know, I know people get a little bit nervous about that, but uh, honestly, I, I've never had anybody mean to me at the door, you know. I mean, I've had a few that, you know, you could tell that they maybe weren't crazy about, you know, whatever, but I, I've never had it deter anyone, nor have I had anyone just get angry with me over it. You know, in virtually all circumstances, they're glad that I came and so forth. Now, that may vary by culture because, you know, I, I live in the in the South, Southwest, Texas, whatever you want to 
however you want to uh, classify it. And so people may be a little bit different there. You got to, you know, weigh the culture also. Well, I, I think that's, uh, and I've done that over the years as well. And it, and it does work. And I, my experience has been good too. Been a couple of times where people maybe have, you know, with a chain on the door and they're looking through the crack. They're not really, <laughs> not real sure who I am. I always have somebody with me though. But, uh, but anyway, cause I, I, I believe about, it. You know, I told you the other day, Don Swanson's one of our elders, and uh, yeah. what he'll do is if he's going to a place where he's not sure how he's going to be received, he might take a watermelon with him, and, and that's what he always says. Nobody's going to turn away a preacher with a watermelon. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. All right, so let's just kind of continue down this path. So we've come to visit, and you send us a card. You come and knocked on our door, uh, and uh, we're not Christian. My wife and I were not Christians, and how would you ask me for a study and what tool would you use to study with me? Well, I've been using the big picture presentation for a little over eight years now and uh, found that to be, you know, highly successful. I have a bit of a modified version of it that, that we use here. Um, you know, in previous times I've used like the four lesson studies and, and stuff. In the day and age we live, you're talking about evaluating culture. If you try to get somebody to commit to a four lesson study, an hour a week for four weeks, it is not easy to do. But if I can tell somebody, you know, I just have a presentation I'd like to show you that kind of fills you in on what we believe and, and I just need an hour of your time, you know, what, what not would be good for you. I don't have any problem getting people to commit an hour of their time to me to, to do that. So, you know, I think that the approach for trying to, to set a, a study, so to speak, is um, you got to evaluate our culture and realize what's likely going to work better. Uh, than, than not. And so I found that to be successful. Uh, another thing I do is, I, is I've kind of thrown out the word study. I don't, I don't try to study with people. You know, I tell people that I'd like to, you know, just kind of show them a presentation or, or, um, or something like that, just because not only do people not feel like they have time, and I say not feel like they have time. Now, that's a different thing, but, but they don't feel like they have time to do a four-lesson study. They also don't feel like they have time to study because that implies to them uh, that they've got to spend some time in preparation. And so I just make sure and tell them, look, it's just, it's basically a presentation. I just want to, you know, talk to you about some things and, you know, there's nothing you need to do ahead of time. Just, just meet me there at the, at the time we decide. To me, what I've found is the more commitment you can reduce on their part where they don't feel like they're making another obligation, um, right. the, the more likely you're going to be able to sit down and talk with them. How have you gotten the congregation involved in evangelism? Uh, you said that you have a ladies group that sends cards. You have, what are some other things that, that the, the congregation helps with? Well, what I have tried to really, you know, push in my time there is just to, you know, to make those personal contacts and to, uh, you know, just try to develop relationships and, and so forth. And, and so, uh, you know, they've done that. And then, of course, as time has gone by, you know, they're, they've become more willing to bring these people that they meet, you know, to me to present because they have a level of trust with me now at this point. And so, uh, you know, that, that's been a lot of the evangelistic effort that's happened is, is they are bringing people to me to talk to. Uh, however, as time has gone by, we've been able to, you know, work with a few who now actively will do uh, these presentations and such on their own. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that, of course, has been beneficial, too. And that's really kind of where I'm at now is I'm trying to increase the numbers of people that um, are comfortable to, to do this themselves. Because the fact is a preacher can't, can't do it all. You just can't. Yeah. You know, early on, we tried to really get a system in place where the shepherds were doing the follow-up study. 
because if a preacher is studying with with the alien and then has to do all the follow-up studies too, you're going to get shut down in a hurry. But with now the way we operate, as soon as someone is baptized, the shepherds take over the follow-up study and that frees me up to go find and, and talk with other people. And uh, so, you know, all those systems, I think, are they take time to put in place, but they're important to get to a point where the evangelist is going to be able to evangelize rather than, um, you know, be, be clogged up trying to do all the administrative work, et cetera, et cetera. So. Well, that, that's true. And that's one, another one of the reasons I wanted to do interviews like this is because, I don't know, sometimes I, I think people just don't, even, even some places, even shepherds don't sit back and think about, well, what is this supposed to look like and how are we going to do all of this? You've used the word system several times and there has to be a system or procedure there in that local work or uh, it, you'll just be running into each other and, and you won't get anything done. Uh, it, it, and people will get frustrated and just throw up their hands. So yeah, there has to be a system. So I was going to ask if you have a, what I, uh, I call it a new converts class, but you just said that the elders, somebody obeys the gospel, then the elders take it from there. Is that what, is that what y'all do? That's correct. Yeah. We generally try to do one-on-one studies, you know, uh, I think that the benefit of that is, is they get kind of intimately um, involved with one of the shepherds and their wife. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's invaluable. You know, the, the general rule of thumb is if you can get somebody connected with seven different people there, they're going to be more likely to stick it out because they've got that, you know, network of people that they can lean on. And uh, so we really try to build that. That's good. Well, yeah. Again, because of our time, would you share with us a story about somebody that you've taught in the past? I think uh, I think you mentioned his name. Can I say his name? I think I got it right this time. Yeah, that'd be fine. <laughs> Ernie, or, uh, tell us your story about Ernie. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Ernie is one that that sticks out in my mind just because to me it emphasizes you never know what waves are going to be made when you uh, you know when someone's one to the gospel. And, uh, you know, this, this, this young man, you know, one of our members uh, set up a time for me to sit down with him and this friend of his to, we, we did the big picture with him. And uh, anyway, at the conclusion of it, he was, he was ready to go. This member of ours had been speaking to him at work pretty regularly. So anyway, he, he was ready to go to the water. And so we, we baptized him. Well, then the following week, he, he brought his wife actually they went to a different area church just because they lived closer over there than they did to where we were. And uh, the members there got to talking with his wife. Well, I think it was that same day, if I'm not mistaken, she was baptized. And uh, then he had a group of people at uh, Lamar university that he had been studying with. And, uh, you know, I I generally, you know, I prefer to, to, to do things like the big picture or really any type of study, just one-on-one because that's generally going to be more effective because you don't have too many competing, you know, questions and points of view and so forth. But he invited me to uh, come and just present the big picture to his entire study group. And uh, so we did that. And that night ended up baptizing two individuals from the study group that he had been a part of. And, and, you know, that just always has stuck with me because, you know, here's somebody that was one to the truth of the gospel. And in short order, he was on fire and, and, and was able to speak to several people and, and you just never know what all is going to, to come from, uh, you know, a single person that you sit down and study with. I've had single people I've sat down and studied with that I didn't get anywhere with. But, but as, uh, as some time has gone by, they took what I 
spoke and, and were kind of talking to some of their family members about it. And I baptized family members that this person essentially brought to me, even though they didn't accept it themselves. <laughs> you just yeah. never know how the gospel is going to return, not void. Well, somebody said this early on. They, they made this statement. What if I had never talked about a lady? What if I had never said something to her? I've been thinking about that a lot, but it be, go back to your story about Ernie, the, the one there at uh, the member that was working with him, what if he had never said anything to Ernie, right? Or what if you had never followed up with Ernie? Or what if Ernie had never followed up with, you know, it's just like, because that's what we're supposed to do is we pray for opportunities and then God puts people in our paths and sometimes we ignore them or we don't pay attention. Chris, why are you so motivated uh, to be an evangelist? Well, you know, uh, I guess for for a lot of uh, all the normal reasons, I guess that 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 people are is you know the, of course the biggest one is it's just a matter of of life or death. You know, if we truly are concerned about people and truly love people and we truly uh, you know are believers, then those two things should lead us to we need to teach and talk to as many people as we can because it's a matter of life or death for them. You know, and then beyond that, you know, I guess maybe for some selfish reasons, I've seen the uh, the, the impact that it's, it's made on my life. You know, if, you know, brother Jim McDonald here in this area, he's, he's been preaching around where I live for many, many decades and, and just has done great work in my part of the country. Well, you know, he, he decided to talk to my dad and, and, and worked with, with him. And as a result, my dad was one to the truth. And, and, you know, my, my, the truth is my family was, was on the verge of breaking up at that point when I was real little. Um, but because of, you know, Jim and, and the gospel, you know, my, my family didn't, you know, suffer that consequence, that fate. And, um, you know, a, a lot of it's the reason why I am where I am now is because somebody like Jim was excited about talking to people who weren't Christians. And so I've just seen a huge impact in my physical life as a result of it, not to mention the, the, the spiritual consequences of it. And so it's just, it's just something that's very important to me. I feel like if I'm going to preach the gospel. I need to preach the gospel. And there's just a lot more to it than being in the, in the pulpit for an hour on Sunday. Well, we appreciate you so much. I look forward to meeting you one day in person, but it's been an honor to meet you and I'm proud of the work that you're doing there. And two other real quick things. Somebody's listening to this and they, and you've really, you've gotten them excited. You know, they're motivated. And, and somebody says, I want to do what Chris does. Or I want to get involved in evangelism. What would be one thing they need to do or lead to learn or how would they go forward? What do you think? Well, you know, I was thinking about that over the course of this week and I just would have to say to, to do it. Um, do it. You know, the, the, in other words, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. I think that sometimes we overcomplicate this and at its most basic level, it's just talking to people about Jesus. And, um, you know, so don't, don't turn it into something more complex than it is. Just, just share the gospel. I mean, I see that model in Acts 8 where, you know, they just kind of go out and the Christians are just sharing what they knew. And uh, they didn't turn it into a big complicated thing. They just did it. So that's what I encourage people to do is, is we can sit down and talk about methods and we'll, we'll sit down and work on that together and figure that out. But at the end of the day, just be excited about it and make efforts in that way. And God is going to bless those efforts because he's the one doing the work, not really us. 
He's the one that we can need, continually need to give the glory to, right? That's right. I can't convert anybody. <laughs> no, 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 that's that's right. All right. So something else, somebody wants to reach out to you. Is, is there contact information that you could share with everyone if they want to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. They can reach me at Chris, that's C-H-R-I-S, at mauriceville.org. And uh, Mauriceville is M-A-U-R-I-C-E-V-I-L-L-E. And um, they can feel free to contact me through my email there. You can find me on Facebook or you can even call me if you want to do that. My number is on the website. So, Okay. Well, listen, again, thank you so much. And uh, I'm just, uh, I am looking forward to meeting you, Lord willing, sometime uh, in the future. Keep up your good work there. And again, uh, and I love what you said there at the end is that just do it. This we have to do and feel that motivation. It made me think of what Paul said. There in Corinthians, at one time he said, knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. You know, I mean, that's a different thought process. But Paul understood, like you say, a life or death situation. So he was motivated to do that. So keep your motivation up and keep uh, encouraging others. And we again, we thank you so much, Chris, for being here with us today. We will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Melt my heart and fill my life. Give me one soul today.